Good morning, super entrepreneurs. I'm Super Joe Pardo, and today we have a full lineup of news to break down for the entrepreneurs. Uh, we got an Evergrande update, uh, not a, a small update. Uh, Tesla moves headquarters from California to Texas. U.S. jobless claims fall to 326,000, the first drop in four weeks. Ireland, the Ireland, the uh, low tax European haven, if you will, for April, uh, April. A- Apple, Facebook, and Google uh, will raise its corporate tax. Find out how much later on here. United Airlines to fly 91% of its 2019 domestic flights in December. Levi's jeans, Levi Strauss, uh, doesn't have a cotton problem apparently. Uh, robo taxis <laughs> from robo taxis to doubling revenue. We're following the GM uh, investor days that they have, uh, and it's it's new plans to uh, elevate its revenue going forward. Uh, there's a story about Americans with criminal records could be the solution to the labor shortage. As well as the final story of today, I used my stimulus check to start a $3 million business. So we will get through all that. But first, I got to remind you that tonight there is a brand new season of Shark Tank that is going to be airing starting at 8 p.m. Eastern. If you aren't able to watch it or you want to come and see me react to it, I'm here for you. Uh, go over to the YouTube, you know, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Super Joe Pardo, and I will have those reactions between like 9 and 11 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. We are still on Daylight Savings Time here in the States. Uh, first, let's get to the first story. Chinese markets return from break to more Evergrande angst. Barely any fresh insight available how regulators propose to contain contagion from cash-strapped China Evergrande Group's debt problems and uh, problems or sell units. You know, I got I got to say I think I said this uh in the past if this was America there would be like so many stories breaking about this uh repeatedly throughout the day and I guess because it's China they don't come out and say things uh like we would have, you know, all kinds of uh, politicians coming out and always having something to say about a company, uh, kind of like when we had our 2007-2008 crash. Uh, China's markets return on Friday after a seven-day break with barely any fresh insight on how regulators propose to contain the contagion from cash-strapped China Evergrande Group's debt problems or even the firm's own plans to sell its units. Evergrande facing one of the country's largest ever defaults as it wrestles with more than $300 billion of debt. The company last month missed uh, missed coupon payments on $2 bond tranches. Tranches? Uh, the, the possible collapse of one of China's biggest borrowers has triggered worries about contagion risks to the property sector in the world's second largest economy as its debt-laden peers are hit with rating uh, downgrades on looming defaults. Uh, Bloomberg reported on Thursday that some dollar bondholders were invited by advisors to to a call on Friday uh, to discuss that that call, I guess, took place uh, about four, almost four hours ago. Uh, to discuss strategy and how to broaden the group. A group of bondholders previously selected investment bank Molis and Co. and law firm Kirkland and Ellis as advisors on a potential restructuring of a tra- uh, tranche, tranche of bonds. Two sources close to the matter said in September. Uh, Chinese regulators have not made any comments specifically on Evergrande during the week-long holiday from October 1st, although the central bank last Wednesday urged financial institutions to cooperate. 
uh, with relevant departments and local governments to maintain the stable and healthy development of the property market and safeguard housing consumers' interests. Uh, Investors have been waiting to hear from the company after it requested a halt in the trading of its shares in Hong Kong on Monday, pending an announcement about a major transaction. Uh, Evergrande Property Service Group, a spinoff listed last year, also requested a halt as well. While sale of assets would temporarily ease concerns about Evergrande's cash flows, analysts also reckon that the indebtedness of Evergrande and some other Chinese property firms is too large to be resolved quickly. An index of China's high-yield debt, which is dominated by developer issuers, uh, has been sliding through the week and is down more than 21% since May. It could soon see spreads at the wide, at the widest ever. The property sector's troubles mounted during the Golden Week break. Two Hong Kong property agencies said that they are suing Evergrande over unpaid commissions while bonds of other property firms such as the Kaiser Group, Central China Real Estate and Greenland Real estate, like and Greenland, like as in Greenland, Greenland, uh, were battered by the uncertainty. Uh, still, sentiment improved slightly on Thursday with the U.S. traded Chinese stocks, Alibaba Group Holding and Tencent Holdings, each surging about eight percent as concerns around U.S.-China trade relations and Evergrande's debt crisis appeared to ease. I don't know that it appeared to ease so much as is like you know we haven't there hasn't been a a there hasn't been a super big development other than they uh keep missing their their um f- uh fiduciary uh, uh responsibilities right so i you know hopefully come monday we'll have some more news about it um that can hopefully you know hopefully something will come out about that call that happened today 4 hours ago i am pretty confident there will be more news later today if not already maybe uh you know something something that's going to break hopefully they have a plan in place and or uh are not just sitting around waiting for regulators to do something about it cuz like obviously if they're not talking uh, you know, that means there's no political positioning happening. And I mean, they have a different system than we do here, uh, in the States. But, uh, again, I, I want to reiterate, I'm very concerned that there's, you know, the consequences of, of something this big collapsing, uh, will be felt through the world. Uh, and I don't, I want to say that it's not time to panic yet, but, um, but you know, in this case, I guess no news is good, or very little news is good news. Tesla moves headquarters from California to Texas. Tesla officially moved its headquarters to uh, from Palo Alto, uh, Palo Alto, Palo Alto, uh, California to Austin, Texas. CEO Elon Musk announced that at its company's 2021 announced or annual shareholder meeting in April 2020 on a Tesla earnings call, Musk lashed out at California government officials calling their temporary COVID-related health orders, quote-unquote, fascist, uh, in an expletive-laced rant. In 2020, Musk personally relocated to the Austin area from Los Angeles, where he had lived for two decades. So uh, I guess this means that the the paperwork is finalized. The meeting the meeting took place on Tesla's vehicle assembly plant or at the, their assembly plant under construction outside of Austin on a property that borders the Colorado River near the city's airport. However, the company plans to increase production in its California plant regardless of the headquarters move. So uh, that's that's good to know. So that you know. Uh, they're not uh, totally ban- abandoning California. They already have a plant there. They already have production. They already have things figured out and moving right along. And they are just simply moving their their headquarters to to Austin, Texas. I mean, it's it's kind of funny because a lot of companies 
tend to uh, incorporate and or uh, headquarter themselves in the state just below mine in Delaware uh, because they have great uh, – they're very business friendly there. So even if it's it's just the headquarters, just the person, uh, you know, that's or, – or like a closet or, or something to that effect where they have, uh, you know, maybe one desk or something, that's where they headquarter out of while they operate in other states. So uh, to be clear, we are continuing to expand our activities in California. Our intentions is to increase output from Fremont and Giga Nevada by 50%. If you go to our Fremont factory, it's jammed. He also added, it's tough for people to afford houses and people have to come in from far away. There's a limit to how big you can scale in the Bay Area. Regarding full plant underway, the full plant underway in Austin, he noted that it would take some time to reach full production, even after it's completed. It takes Tesla less time to build a factory than to reach high volume production. Musk said, for example, Tesla's Shanghai plant was built in 11 months, but took a year to reach high volume uh, production. He expects Tesla's new plant near Austin to follow Shanghai's example. Uh, Musk's Growing dissatisfaction with California has been apparent for some time in April 2020. You know, he called, yeah, we talked about that. He called out. So I, you know, I think that, um, you know, when back in the, our, you know, our Pardo truck parts uh, warehouse days, when we would open up a new location, it would be expected to take a year to three years to, uh, not only get everything running the way we want it to run, find the right people to run it, but also uh, to get enough customer base out of there. In this case, it's a manufacturing plant, so they already have the customer base. But just getting the right people, getting the processes in place, uh, getting everything, you know, any anything could be like work out, quote unquote, uh, perfectly on paper. But when it comes to actually having it, uh, you know, in, in the field with with people, behind it uh and and things of that nature uh that's when you know when the rubber meets the road that's where the problems happen and that's where you need to you know go through kind of go through the process again and get things ramped up right uh get people trained up to to be able to uh anybody could you know any quote unquote anybody could put a car together um you know, when they're only expected to make one, but when you start talking about like, okay, how do we get it to 10 cars? How do we get it to 20 cars, 30 cars, 50 cars, a hundred cars a day? You know, that's that, that requires everybody to know their job, be very specialized in it. And, uh, and all, all of that. So it's kind of, a, it's kind of crazy that, um, Elon chose to, to build in California to begin with and continues to to maintain that they will continue to make a, you know the cars in California when they like every other car you know dealership or uh, manufacturers like well you know we're going to make some here but like we're really making it over in Mexico and then we'll ship them over so like bye bye to all those jobs and not our problem we're moving on and things you know crumble around them and they're like ah you know not my problem uh, it's so I, you know, I applaud, uh, that end of it. I, I do still take some issue, uh, with the things that, that Tesla has going on. It's not all ro- you know, roses and, and rainbows and sun sunshine, but, uh, hopefully this, uh, this move to Austin will help enable them to get more production going, uh, as quickly as possible. And uh, as well as enable Musk to be more efficient uh, going going forward and with his time, especially since he he's been located in, in Austin for about a year now. U.S. job claim uh, job, U, U.S. jobless claims fall to 326,000 first drop in four weeks before COVID-19 hammered the U.S. economy in March 2020. Weekly claims were consistently coming in uh, in at around 220,000. So we're getting closer to pre-pandemic uh, uh, jobless claims, which is which is good. That's awesome. Ding, ding, right? Uh, it does not mean that we're out of the water yet. Uh, the number of Americans applying for unemployment benefits fell last week, another sign that the U.S. job market and economy continued their steady recovery from last year's coronavirus uh, recession. 
Unemployment claims fell by 38,000 to 326,000, the first drop in four weeks. Labor Department said on Thursday, since surpassing 900,000 in early January, the weekly applica- uh, applications, a proxy for layoffs, had fallen more or less steadily all year. Still, they remain elevated from pre-pandemic levels before COVID, uh, COVID-19 hammered the U.S. economy in March 2020. Uh, after hitting a pandemic low of 312,000 in early September, claims had risen three weeks straight, suggesting that the highly contagious Delta variant uh, was at least temporarily disrupting a recovery in jobs. Uh, contingent macro advisors said that the recent uptick was also partly caused by backlog in processing orders in California and other states. Shutdowns at auto plants resulting from a shortage of computer chips could make the numbers volatile uh, over the next few weeks. And contingent said, but the trend towards lower jobs, um, job jobless claims remain intact. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the other things is it's, you know, it's not just about, uh, you know, businesses that don't have customers It's about businesses that don't have access to the supply chain that don't have, you know, if you're struggling with being able to keep things on the shelf, like you don't need the, the people there. Um, you know, I, I think that when, depending on where you are in your business, it's really important that you try to keep as many people as possible. So you don't run up with the rubber banding effect of like, okay, now we need a whole bunch of people. And like, everybody moved on. Everybody went, everybody went somewhere else. Everybody said, you know what? I'm going to take, I'm going to take this as an opportunity to go and start my own business. I'm going to take this as an opportunity to go and work in a new industry, to take, uh, take control of my future and get retrained in something that has a bigger and brighter future for myself and for my family, you know, uh, and, and yeah, doing, dealing with these supply chain issues are, is tough. And there's a, you know, sometimes there's, there's not a lot of profit margin there, which we'll get to a story about GM, uh, increasing their profit margin in the next eight years. But I, you know, I, I firmly believe that if you have a trained set of people, uh, you need to do everything you can do to to keep them. Because if you just let them go, they're 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 trained uh, and they can do it for somebody else, or they're they're smart enough, they're focused enough to go and train themselves to go do something else. And that's what you don't want because when you need them to come back, they won't be there for you. Um, you know, as as uh, we've gone, you know, just 20, 30 years ago, where it's like, hey, it's not that uncommon to say I work for one company from the entirety of my career or maybe two companies for the entirety of my career to now just, you know, 30 years later. Hey, if you work two years, they say, if you, you know, I, I, I don't know all the statistics to back all that up. But, you know, the statistics, you know, from what I've read is like if you work for a company for more than two years, you are act- actively losing money. You are actively losing money from uh, by not jumping ship to escalate yourself uh, on the on the the job ladder, right? As a whole, not just the corporate ladder of this the singular company that you're working for. So, you know, I I uh, I I I hope that this is a good sign of things things to come, and that we continue to to have those jobless claims uh, fall, especially as we have such a uh, a, a huge pot of businesses that are looking for for work uh, for workers right now at, at escalated uh, wages. So uh, it you know, but it's also hard to find a good fit, right? Just because you're out of work doesn't mean that you're going to go and work in an Amazon warehouse. I mean, you will if you absolutely need to. But if you are already in a somewhat special, you know, if you're a dental assistant, are you going to go and work in an Amazon warehouse? I don't know. I mean, I spend money and time in becoming a dental assistant, right? Maybe I'm working towards becoming my own dentist, uh, a dentist, you know, a, a dentist in general. So I kind of think that it's, you know, it's, it's about finding the right mix of people at the same time. And that's why it's so important that you try to find ways to keep the people that you have uh, around you. 
Shout out to Super Denny Decoy, Grand Rising, Super Joe. How are you feeling today? I am feeling wonderful. I am excited. There is a brand new season of Shark Tank tonight. Uh, you should totally come and watch uh, the reaction videos. They'll be up not long, within a couple, within one to two hours of the show going live tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern. So uh, my video should be up by like nine to between nine and eleven. Uh, each of those videos. Uh, so I, you know. We're we're doing great, Denny. I I hope that you're feeling well as well. I hope you're feeling great today, uh, and having a uh, ready for a great weekend ahead. Awesome, awesome. I, I will I will I will see you in. I won't be able to do the premieres tonight because of the way that I have to crank you know crank out the videos. But uh, but I will I will see you in the comments tonight. It would be awesome to awesome to see you there. Ireland, the low-tax European home of Apple, Facebook, and Google, will raise its corporate tax to 15% joining a global agreement. Wow. This is probably one of the biggest, I mean, outside from the debt ceiling uh, news from yesterday, this is this is potentially huge. This has huge ramifications. Uh, they agree. Ireland has agreed to set 15% corporate tax rate for large multinational companies. Ireland has been the low-tax European headquarters for tech giants, including Apple, Google, and Facebook. Ireland said on Thursday it would give up its 12.5% rate for large firms. So it's increasing. Uh, Ireland said a joint... Um, uh, yeah, joint national agreement set the minimum corporate tax to 15%. The country dropped its opposition to an overhaul of global corporate tax rules, agreeing to give up its 12.5% tax for large multinationals with revenues in excess of 750 million euros or $865 million. Ireland, the low-tax European headquarters for tech giants, including Apple, Google, Facebook, declined to sign up to the initial deal in July, objecting to a proposed rate uh, of at least 15%. An updated uh, text this week dropped the at least clearing the way for ministers to do what successive governments said that they would never contemplate giving up the low tax rate that has helped win Ireland investments and jobs for decades. Joining their, uh, this agreement is an important decision for the next stage of Ireland's industrial policy, a decision that will ensure that Ireland is part of the solution. Uh, this is a difficult and complex decision, but I believe it is the right one. All but a handful of the 140 countries involved signed up to the July deal, brokered by the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, or the OECD. That you know, that rolls off the tongue. That marked the first rewriting of the international tax rules in a generation. The holdouts, which include fellow EU members Estonia and Hungary, uh, can't block the uh, proposed changes. The 140 negotiating countries are due to meet for on Friday to finalize the deal. The U.S. Treasury, which had pressed Ireland to support the global minimum tax, hailed Dublin's decision as putting the world on a path towards a generational achievement to ensure corporations pay their fair share of taxes. If Ireland had maintained its lower rate, multinationals that book profits there could be forced to pay the additional tax elsewhere under the proposals. The government said it had received assurances from the European Commission that Ireland could maintain the 12.5% rate for firms with annual turnover below 750 million euros or $867 million, and keep tax incentives for research and development. The commission also promised it would stick faithfully to the OECD agreement and not seek a higher rate among member states. So that is uh, that is quite uh, quite a bit there. So, uh, you know, having the uh, the minimum corporate tax rate be fifteen percent uh, does start to change the landscape uh, for these these giant companies that, like Apple, has been enjoying this since I think the late seventies, early eighties, um, when they uh, they went and. Are they incorporated out of I forget if they're incorporated out of Ireland. I forget how they I've watched the documentary on this, but I, I don't quite remember the exact details of it. But 
Yeah, it, it basically has enabled them to, you know, skirt a whole lot of taxes um, along the way and create this amazing amount of wealth, uh, a pool of money for, for well, especially for Apple, but uh, for Google and Facebook and others. Um, I've recently watched the Delore, uh, was it the, the, it was like a Delore, uh, John, John DeLorean documentary where he, uh, you know, went to Ireland specifically because of the taxes back in the eighties, right? Because he wanted to be able to, you know, they were willing to like help him pay for the building and for the, the manufacture of the car and all that stuff. So, they, you know, Ireland has done everything, a lot of things to keep the money flowing uh, into uh, their country. Um, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure it was it was hard to, to, to succumb to said pressure of like, hey, you know, we, we need to we need to do something about this. And with uh, they said about 140 countries, that means that there's I don't know, was there like 180 countries in the world? So there's some countries that are that might be the next become the next Ireland uh, as they are become the uh, be become holdouts on said agreement. But I, I, I think that there needs to be something to uh, to that to that level so that there's no advantage. You know, we need to take away that advantage of like just, you know, stashing money, especially when companies uh, like Google who don't really, perf- uh, you know, make there's 190 countries. Dan- uh, thank you, Danny. I. I appreciate that. I thought, it was, yeah, I thought it was like closer to 180, but yeah, probably, probably about 100, 190 or so. So we need to, you know, we need to make sure that they're paying their fair share and that they, you know, especially companies like that are in tech that aren't producing a hardware product, they, you know, can expand their their wealth so rapidly because it's, you know, it's servers and it's bandwidth and it's not necessarily they have to, you know, build the build the iPhone and all that stuff. Uh, it just creates such a, a fast-paced uh, uh, funnel of wealth to them, and then to not, ha- you know, to be able to just skirt it uh, through a country in, you know, Western Europe uh, is is just always been mind-boggling to me, uh, and and I think overlooked by a lot of a lot of people. But we'll see how this uh, plays out. As far as the pricing of things going forward, you know, is Apple going to end up raising the, their prices uh, going forward, or are they just going to take you know a little less profit off the off the table to uh, to keep it keep it going? We will we will see. U.S. or United Airlines to fly. Let's see. United Airlines to fly 91% of its 2019 domestic flights in December, a pandemic high. Uh, Anticipating strong holiday travel, United Airlines said on Thursday that it will offer 3,500 daily flights within the United States in December, the most in any month since the pandemic began. United said it plans to offer 91% uh, as many of its domestic flights as it did back in 2019, December, uh, December 2019. That month, United will debut new uh, direct routes and restart a handful of others. So I'm guessing that they were able to get their labor uh, situation figured out here. Uh, let's see. United and other airlines enjoyed strong demand this summer because of widespread vaccinations, though the spread of the Delta variant uh, of the coronavirus slowed that momentum going into the fall. The industry had hoped that the corporate travel would restart in a big way after Labor Day, but many professionals have not yet returned to offices full time and business travel remains down. We talked about this yesterday with D.C. Hotels. Uh, projected to lose $2.3 billion in revenue because business travel is not a thing. Uh, Overall, air travel appears to have settled at about 75% of 2019 levels in September, according to data from the Transportation Security Administration. They could have just said TSA. Everybody, Everybody knows what the TSA is. Uh, the Biden administration's plan to relax travel restrictions on vaccinated foreigners starting next month is expected to provide another boost, especially around the holidays. United said it expects the uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and the Sunday after the holiday to be particularly busy. It also expects Thursday, December 23rd and Sunday, January 2nd to be popular travel days. I mean, that's great. People getting back out and traveling, um, 
you know, they're va- assuming they're vaccinated or, or, or you know, the, the, the pandemic continues to be on the downturn, at least for now. Hopefully this is the last of the waves that we have to go through. I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that that will be the case. You know, like I said, I, I hope that they uh, – I assume they were able to um, to get the the people to do it. I also kind of hope that this isn't just a marketing ploy to say, hey, we're back in business. We're going to be running all these flights. And, like, the reality of it is is we're saying this because we want people to book so that we could pay people to get butts in seats and not have into a big problem where it's like we start canceling flights left and right, leaving people stranded in a bad situation uh, or or in a situation where people don't just don't trust, you know, the the company as a whole. I mean, United and, and U.S. Airways both have their own streaks of, of terrible, you know, no good horrible PR press over the years. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle this going forward. So I'll be tracking to see if, if United is able to keep up with uh, what they what they believe is going to be super high demand and if they're actually able to deliver on that high demand. So we'll, we'll see. Stay tuned for that. Levi Strauss doesn't have a cotton problem despite price surge. Levi Strauss hiked prices by 5% earlier this year. So they, uh, let's see, this, well, this is talking about a massive shortage of toilet paper and other goods. I don't know if that's, Fox News has a, or their business has a thing with like putting old video uh, footage on top of new video uh, or on top of new stories. Levi uh, Levi's doesn't have a cotton problem. Uh, so Levi says its business is insulated from surging cotton prices at least throughout the middle of next year. Cotton prices have soared more than twenty percent since the middle of September, as a number of factors, including a drought or including drought and regulations, have created supply and demand imbalance. The higher cotton costs are expected to cause the clothing companies to hike their prices in an attempt to offset the hit to their bottom lines. Levi's, however, says the action taken earlier this year will allow the company to navigate more efficiently. We have negotiated most of our products costs through the first half of 2022 at very low single-digit inflation. And for the second half, we are anticipating a mid-single-digit increase, which we will offset the pricing uh, actions we've already taken. San Francisco-based denim jeans maker hiked prices across the board 5% during the second quarter, resulting in about a one-point increase in gross margins. The increase came as more Americans needed to restock their wardrobes after months of lockdowns, uh, (laughs) which led to bigger waistlines. Yeah, you know, uh, for anybody who didn't work out during uh, or hasn't worked out during the pandemic, uh, they might they might be feeling that crunch. And and uh, you know, good on good on Levi's to um, lock in those prices. And hopefully, it continues to stay locked in because you know, just because you negotiate one thing doesn't necessarily mean like, look, the uh, we you know we could run into all kinds of supply shortages, driver shortages. Um, there's so many factors that are just pulling, you know, the the economy in different directions. So, you know, hopefully that is the case, uh, and they're able to maintain where they want to be with their um, with their pricing, at least into the middle of 2022. But I'll tell you, the middle of 2022 will come faster than you think, and the middle of 2022 might actually mean like. February, you know, because things things just get kind of out of hand uh, very quickly. So we will we will be watching to see if uh, Levi's is able to maintain that uh, that agreement and and keep single digit inflation. So maybe it goes up, you know, two, three, four percent instead of like, hey, jeans are now twenty percent more expensive. Like that would not be a good uh, not be good for Levi's or its customers. From robo-taxis to doubling revenue, here's how GM is laying out its plans for the future. So we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Uh, it increased their, from increasing profit margins and $280 billion is expected revenue by 2030 to 1 million robo-taxis. A look at the most significant figures from General Motors uh, Investor Day. 
Let's see here. General Motors is delivering the technologies that redefine how people and goods are moved. Our commitment to a vision of a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion has placed us ahead uh, of much of the competition. That seems like a bold claim, considering that Super Cruise is the closest thing that they have to that, and Super they don't they, it's like on Cadillacs only, and they have uh, halted the uh, their ability to send those vehicles out uh, for the time being because of the chip shortage. Investors won't, uh, weren't weren't immediately impressed with GM's announcements during the more than five hour event. The automaker stock closed Wednesday down less than one percent. Uh, at fifty three ninety three a share, shares closed Thursday up by four point seven percent to fifty six dollars and forty four cents a share, helped by a broader market rally. Uh, so profit margin. GM plans to increase its operational profit margin to between twelve percent and fourteen percent by twenty thirty. That's up from seven point nine percent in twenty twenty. Uh, that is, that is quite a, it's just, that's so like, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's seven years, you know, eight years out from now, actually it's nine years out from now. So to, 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 I'm, I'm sure they have a plan and, and that's what they're, you know, planning to do, but I don't know where, where you're at 7.9% right now. Um, I wish they had shown what they were at in 2019. Cause that like, basically the world's been on pause. So I don't know if that's a good uh, that that actually might be high. Maybe in 2020 it went up because of the the uh, pricing of everything starting to go up, and they were able to fit in a little more profit margin in there. Uh, bright drop. Much of their investor day Wednesday was focused on the company expanding its business to generate recurring software and service based revenue. I mean, they have the um, GM OnStar, which is a great service. Uh, I mean, I've I've used it a little bit over the years. It's cool service, but I mean, at, at the end of the day, like we all got, you know, Siri and Google in our pockets and, and par- like integrated with all the cars that we have. So I don't I don't know that that's really the future. Uh, GM is targeting revenue growth of operations such as OnStar, as well as new businesses such as the majority owned self-driving subsidiary cruise and commercial EV unit bright drop from $2 billion to $80 billion in 2030. That is a incredible increase. Uh, most of that new incremental revenue is forecast to be during the back half of this decade. Okay, so G, uh, EVs, right? GM's pro, uh, projects EV revenue to grow from between from about ten billion dollars in twenty twenty three to approximately ninety billion annually by twenty thirty, as the company launches new models, including at least thirty new electric vehicles by twenty twenty five. That's very, po- I mean, that's very possible. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think that's impossible, but I think there's still a huge education. Um, there's still a huge education. Uh, job that needs to be done to get people to feel comfortable with an, an you know electric vehicle version of the car that they already know and love and like to hear the engine of and and all these things. So there's I mean there's tons of benefits. I own an EV. I own a Chevy Bolt, uh, but uh, you don't know how long I'm going to have that for. So we'll see. Uh, because of the battery issues that they ran into with LG, they're trying to take care of it, but uh, I, don't, I don't know. GM's annual capital spending, uh, including investments in joint ventures to build battery plants. Ding, ding. That's what they need to do. They can't be relying on other companies for batteries if they want to actually have a real shot at dominating the EV market going forward. That's why Tesla's been so successful at it. Uh, let's see. It's expected to be around nine billion to ten billion in the medi- uh, medium term as the uh, company transitions to, uh, to a majority EV product portfolio. GM said it expects to fully fund these investments through internally generated funds. Speed. As part of GM's move to achieve greater recurring revenue, the automaker plans to offer remote upgrades for its vehicles. They are expected to range from hands-free driving technologies to increased performance for things such as zero to sixty software upgrade. So basically, they were like, "Hey, what's Tesla do to make a whole lot, like all the money that they're making?" Oh, that's right. We just uh, you know sell those things. Now, hopefully, my hope is that 
that GM is selling these these things like a zero to sixty software upgrade, um, or or like you know the self driving module for the car. That's going to require them to to really make a big shift because we talked about this in a in a previous entrepreneurs episode of uh, GM wanting to go direct with getting their chips instead of buying it through a third party, uh, as well as the software, you know, that they, they may, they need to make and maintain. There's a high level of uh, competition there for those software developers that they're going to have to really get in and be really serious about. And, and, you know, these slow, you know, um, dashboard experiences are not going to be a thing that's going to get them where they want to go. EV chargers to increase the availability of electric vehicle chargers, a major hurdle to EV ownership. GM plans to invest about $750 million in the devices by 2025. That includes home workplace and public charging throughout the U S uh, and let's see, Robo Taxis. Cruise CEO said the majority owned uh, self driving subsidiary expects to begin charging for Robo Taxis and self driving vehicles in San Francisco by 2022, pending state approval. The company last week was granted the fifth of six permits needed to commercialize the self driving ride hailing fleet. Well, yeah, I mean, the way that the, the you know, Super Cruise works is through LIDAR and predetermined, you know, pre-mapped roads and things of that nature. So it, it's not going to be a huge rollout all at once. And with getting these permits is is definitely, uh, definitely could, you know, still be a hurdle. Yeah, they're, they're one permit shy. But I'll tell you, the first time they have a crash or first time that they have something, somebody is going to you know, slow the process down that, you know, they might still have the permits, but they might not be able to just like send them out willy nilly with like driverless vehicles. They might have to actually have somebody there. Uh, Cruise is targeting a fleet of 1 million or more self-driving vehicles by 2030. That sounds pretty low, actually. Um, <clears throat> according to slide, uh, to a slide presented to investors, we expect to, uh, to scale the business rapidly uh, he did not specifically discuss the 2030 target, but a crew spokesman said that's where the company believes it can be. Okay, well, that's where we're going to be investing based upon. Uh, EV AV spending. For the first time, GM detailed its previously announced plan to spend $35 billion on electric and autonomous vehicles through 2025. The plan includes... $20 billion in capital and engineering related to electric vehicles, $10 billion in battery and motor production and development, including new plants, and $6 billion in cruise. Ultra Cruise. GM said that in 2023, it will release a new hands-free system called Ultra Cruise that is capable of driving in 95% of scenarios. The system is expected to be far more capable than its current Super Cruise system, which is exclusively available on pre-mapped divided highways, which is what I was referring to earlier. Um, At launch, GM said Ultra Cruise will be available on more than 2 million miles of road in the U.S. and Canada. Super Cruise is currently available on more than 200,000 miles of road. Okay, so they have so so Ultra Cruise better be absolutely incredible, but Ultra Cruise kind of makes me think that they're just doing more of the same, which is mapping all the roads and and hoping for the you know hoping that that's going to be enough to to satisfy uh, a self-driving car network. Awesome, hopefully. Uh, and it said 2023 is not that far away, so hopefully that doesn't slide. I think as, as we go forward here, there's going to be uh, a lot to, like, as the pandemic continues to play out and, and hopefully, you know, ding, ding, or knock on wood, we'll be... Uh, over soon, um, I, you know these these predictions and these estimates will not will hopefully not slide for them, and uh, we'll be able to to see the fruits of the labor come come to fruition here. Uh, 
Americans with criminal records could be a solution to the labor shortage. So there's this uh, like almost seven minute video. I, I listened to, watched all of it. It's uh, the CEO of Kelly Services gives job seekers with criminal records a second chance at work. Uh, basically, anybody, you know, their their theory is, uh, I forget how much it said. There is like seven million, seventy million Americans uh, with a criminal record. Uh, is what they're what they're saying is is available out there with a non-violent um, criminal record, and they feel that they could help tap into uh, f- filling the job labor shortage. Um, I know here in in New Jersey, they talk about on the radio like, "Hey, we're expunging all these uh, you know minor marijuana." Um, lawsuit or uh not lawsuits uh, criminal records and things like that and expunging them which is awesome i i you know i can definitely uh get behind that but uh you know to say that i don't know i i I think that there's definitely an opportunity there i think it's maybe a little um i think it's maybe a little on the optimistic side that you're going to have the right jobs with the right people that have you know these uh these nonviolent criminal records that you could fill in the positions i think to a certain extent you can uh but that's not gonna that i don't think that's the end all be all answer but it, it it definitely could be a piece of the puzzle so i you know i would say if you're in a position where you're having trouble getting people you know maybe it's time to open up the open up the uh your your search a little wider and and take in you know maybe take a look at some people's resumes that have some kind of nonviolent criminal record and all of a sudden you you're you're giving an opportunity to somebody who maybe wasn't going to have an opportunity uh or was having an extreme difficulty getting um work or work of meaning that was equal to the training that they have or the education level that they have uh something to that effect so yeah, I, th- I think everybody uh, as a whole needs to to look at that, but I don't know that uh, that it's going to to completely you know solve or be a huge impact there. Uh, but I do say it says in, uh, it's one of the increasing number of companies, Kelly Services, trying to destigmatize so-called second chance workers with dual pronged uh, philanthropic and self interested goals help people get back on their feet and find workers in a top tight job market. So I, I think it, I, you know, it absolutely could be an opportunity and it's an opportunity for you and for the person who needs that, that real opportunity to, to not just work, uh, you know, a job lesser than what they're capable of handling or, or accomplishing. So maybe give that a, give that a look. I used my stimulus check to start a $3 million business. Just prior to the pandemic, uh, I was laid off from my role as director of sales for a startup company in the insurance field. I had worked for about 3.5 years, and it was a really good job. And then I gave birth to to my two twins. Again, I got a divorce. All of this happened within a six-month period. That is heartbreaking. Six-month period, so it was a lot. It's a lot for people to take on any of those things, <laughs> any one of those things, uh, let alone all at once in a six month period, you know, people don't uh, usually adjust the change super quickly or super well. Uh, it takes time, you know, even, you know, I, I'm always open to the idea of like, let's change, you know, let's change, let's find where the problem is and change. But there's all there's a limit to how much everyone can, um, can can handle all at once. And I, I think it's, I think it's important to recognize that, like, you know, we're still human and coming across, you know, having twins, like going from having no kids to having twins to also having a divorce and having a new job, like, or while well, having, uh, I had worked at this job for 3.5 years, it was a really great job. So, you know, not, not a new job, but doing really good at your job and then f- having all that. So, oh, so she already had four, so my four kids and I then moved into my mom's house in L.A. I was able, about to turn a 28 and I really had to start again from scratch. I applied to more than 50 jobs and although for 75% of them I had at least a first interview, nothing connected. 
So I took a step back and realized that perhaps I needed to take my skills and consult for other people. I was confident in my business, finance, and sales skills. I decided I need to take my skills to the marketplace rather than waiting for a job to hire me. I uh, I didn't want to be in a position where I was continuing to receive unemployment or public assistance, or I uh, and I didn't have a lot of extra funds. So when um, the first stimulus check for twelve hundred dollars came in April twenty twenty, I took it as a sign of it was now or never. I wanted to use the stimulus check to invest in what I needed for my business. So some of the purchases I made included spending one hundred and forty five dollars to design my website and pay for website hosting. I also bought a couple of extra domain names online, several ring lights for 175, 170 bucks. I paid the taxes required to upgrade my phone. I took steps that put me in a position to create content online and start my business. My initial approach was to consult and provide coaching calls to companies. I was marketing myself on LinkedIn as someone who could go in and teach leadership and sales development to staff. I had led a team of around 70 sales staff in my previous role, and I knew I could provide value. So I'm going to link this this article below for you to go through and read the you know read the entire story. But that is some awesome initiative, right? Taking the skills that you already know, taking um, an opportunity to say, well, you know, it's kind of now or never because I'm not, what do I have to lose at this point? And instead of getting really depressed and down about it, going and taking that step and doing something about it, absolutely love it. Uh, it doesn't was it say her name. Yeah, Ellie, Ellie Diop. So I want you to think about what you can do uh, right now to change the situation that you're in and figure out what is that next step that can make you better, the people around you better, uh, make, you know, unlock the super uh, and in them and in yourself and take yourself to that, to that next level with the drive and the abilities that you already have. And, uh, you know, figure out what kind of bet can you make on yourself, especially when you're at a point where it's like, you feel like you've hit rock bottom, uh, especially when you're at a point where, Hey, I did all these, uh, these, you know, I, I did all these interviews and, and nothing really, you know, work. it seemed to work for me. That you know, so she did the things she did the things she needed to do, and and ultimately found that you know what was going to work for her was getting, uh, you know, betting taking that bet on herself, and at a time where it's like, hey, you don't need all that much money, you know, to to do it right. So you get some lights, you get your phone. I mean, phone, you know, you get the right lighting. Phones can be incredible devices uh, for for video for streaming and all those things and you can make it happen so I appreciate you watching today on the entrepreneurs I look forward to seeing you all tonight uh, for between like 9 and 11 p.m eastern for the newest Shark Tank season 13 premiere episode one of course uh, Denny thank you so much for joining us it's always a pleasure to have you in the chat and in the comments uh non-toxic only i i i uh we got to catch up sometime soon man got to catch up sometime soon uh i hope you have an amazing day and an amazing weekend i will see you on monday for the entrepreneurs and of course there's going to be more shark tank and the profit and maybe some oh undercover billionaire undercover billionaire uh i'll be doing another one of those uh, with Grant Cardone in the near future here. So uh, I look forward to seeing you all in the comments and in the chat. Have a great weekend. Take care, everybody.